This summer we are reading from some of the prophets of the Old Testament. And over the past two Sundays, we've looked at the fiery prophet Amos, who was active in the northern kingdom of Israel around 750 BC. Today we look at the first of two readings from another prophet who was active in the northern kingdom, the prophet Hosea. Unlike Amos, however, who preached during a time of relative peace and prosperity, Hosea prophesied during a time of social and political turmoil sometime between 750 and 721 uh, BC. They were almost contemporaries. Like Amos, Hosea condemned the exploitation of the poor, but the primary target of his prophecy was the practice of idolatry, in particular the worship of pagan gods alongside the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The prophets were messengers from God and they would do just about anything to get their message across. Sometimes that meant doing things other than saying that message. The prophet Isaiah, for example, was commanded to walk naked and barefoot through the city of Jerusalem for three years as, quote, a portent against Ethiopia and Egypt. While another prophet, Jeremiah, wore a yoke around his neck as a symbol of the yoke of Babylon slavery that would befall his people. As strange as these actions are, however, neither of them can hold a candle to the way in which Hosea presented God's message to his people. In an extended message, metaphor that is as troubling as it is bizarre, Hosea appears to have lived out God's message in his family life. I invite you to listen as I read chapters one, one verse one to chapter two, verse two, ver chapter 2, verse 1 of the book of Hosea. You are welcome to read along on page 835 in your Bible. Just know the wording will be a little bit different as I am reading from a slightly more accurate translation, the New International Version. It just happens to be more accurate in this case. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to God. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Rothumah, Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved or not pitied, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord, the God, their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Rumhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brother, my people, and of your sister, my loved one. The word of God for the people of God. You say quietly, and I don't blame you. Um, you can see why Krista and I made this deal that I would read the scripture so she didn't have to, given all the names. C.S. Lewis once said, the Bible is adult literature. And this is certainly true of the book of Hosea. We are introduced to the prophet as he is commanded by God to marry a woman who is promiscuous and to have children with her. His marriage is to serve as a living metaphor of the unfaithfulness of God, the people of God to God and the people to each other. And even the names of the children that they have together are meant to communicate God's anger with Israel. Over the centuries, a number of issues regarding this text have been hotly debated and remain mostly unresolved. Part of the problem is that the whole marriage metaphor reflects the patriarchal society of Hosea's time in which the husband was the dominant figure in a marital relationship holding absolute power over his wife whose primary worth depended on her ability to bear sons to carry on the family name. A woman who was unfaithful to her husband, therefore, not only placed the paternity of the children in question, but also caused great dishonor to her husband. And the husband had the right to punish her accordingly, sometimes with great violence. The second chapter of Hosea, which we will not be reading, reflects this painful reality. Unfortunately, the marriage metaphor of Hosea places God in the role of this dishonored husband and Israel in the role of the sinful wife. Roles that over the centuries have characterized, led to the characterization of women as sinful, wanton creatures who need to be controlled, even abused by their husbands in order to maintain the sanctity of the marriage. Such views of women are rightly rejected today, which also means that the marriage metaphor in Hosea may not work for us today. Furthermore, assuming that Hosea actually carried out God's command, the exact nature of Hosea's relationship with his wife, Gomer, is unknown. Though the wording in the new revised standard version, now you're all gonna look this up, the translation from which we usually read, seems to indicate that she was a prostitute. The Hebrew word for a woman who engages in such a profession is not used here which is why I read from the New International Version, the Hebrew word reflects the word, English word promiscuous. Our best guess about Gomer is that she was habitually unfaithful. But since Gomer is never allowed to speak, we don't know, which is also a problem. Though Gomer and her children are essential to the prophet's message, they have absolutely no voice. We don't know if Gomer agreed to this marriage, or how she felt about the names her husband gave to her, their children, names which are at the very least unkind. The name of her firstborn son, for example, harkens back to a massacre that took place in a valley called Jezreel, in which a military official named Jehu usurped the throne of Israel by assassinating members of the previous ruling dynasty. 
And the name Jezreel will also come to be associated with the conquest of Israel by the Assyrian Empire in 721 BC. Gomer's second child, a daughter, is given a name that means not loved or not pitied, an indication of God's intense displeasure with his people. But can you imagine giving your child such a name? The third child, a son, is the worst, given the worst name of all, a name that means not by people. His name indicates that the covenant between Israel and Yahweh has been disrupted. In the eyes of the prophet, because the people have forsaken the God who gave them life, no longer will God say, you are my people and I am your God. The relationship that they have enjoyed is over and judgment is upon them. In later chapters, we will learn why Hosea is struggling against Israel. In chapter 4, for example, he spells out the damage that the broken relationship with God has caused. And this reads, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, for the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Swearing, lying, and murder, and stealing, and adultery break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who in it live in it languish together with the wild animals and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea are perishing. It is a picture of devastation caused by the unfaithfulness of Israel. The prophet goes on to denounce the priests who failed to teach their people about God and who led them to worship other gods, particularly the fertility gods, the Baals, along with Yahweh. He condemns those who use false balances and cheat the poor and decries Israel's choice to seek security in alliances with foreign powers instead of in their relationship with God. Given all this, in the eyes of the prophet, the scandal of Israel's faithfulness can only result in judgment and destruction. Fortunately, we don't stop there. Hard on the heels of the announcement through the third child's name that the covenant is broken come these words. Yet the Israelites shall be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel shall come together. They shall appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brother, Ami, my people, and to your sister, Ruhamah, my loved one. Even as Hosea prophesies judgment, he also offers a vision of a future with hope. The hope of reconciliation between God and God's people and even between the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Though God appears to be done with God's people, the possibility of a renewed covenant is held out as the shocking wordplay of the children's names is reversed. Not pitied or not loved becomes my beloved one. Not my people is named my people, and the children of adulterous Israel are reclaimed as children of the living God. The name Jezreel, which means God sows or God plants, is also redeemed. For now, instead of referring to a massacre and destruction, it refers to the replanting of the people of Israel on the soil of the land.
This reversal of God's judgment is, well, mind-blowing. One minute we're reading angry words of condemnation and the next words of comfort and hope. What is going on here? Well, first of all, it's helpful to know that the first chapter of this book serves both as an introduction and a summary of the major themes in Hosea, themes which, as we will see more clearly next week, include grace as well as judgment. But beyond that, in this first chapter, we are presented with the picture of a God who is passionately committed to his people. Yes, the metaphor of the people of Israel and God as a promiscuous wife and God is, as a dishonored husband is offensive. Our challenge, though, is to see beyond the offensiveness of the marriage metaphor to the good news that it contains, the good news of a love so unfailing, so faithful, so foolish, that one might even call it scandalous. In a commentary on this passage, Bishop Will Williman writes, conversation between Israel and Yahweh becomes heated, acrimonious, and fierce because Yahweh is so committed to Israel that Yahweh takes Israel personally. That's the scandal of divine love, that God takes Israel, that God takes us personally. No matter what Israel did, God would not leave them alone. Likewise, no matter what we do, God will not leave us alone. Do you believe that? No matter what we do, God will not desert us. But we know that, don't we? We know that because of Jesus. Again, in the words of Bishop Williman, what is God like? Jesus responded with stories about a shepherd who relentlessly searches for the one, until the one lost sheep is found. The woman who seeks until she finds her one lost coin. The father who waits and waits and waits until the lost son comes home. God is like that. God is determined to retain that which belongs to God. This is good news in a culture that often becomes confused into thinking that our relationship with God depends on us. Quite the contrary. Our relationship with God rests on God's care for us. So Hosea does tell us that God is often terribly disappointed in us, grieved by the things we do, maybe even angry with us. But in spite of that, God remains faithful to us, faithful when we are not God seeks us when we wander away and loves us when we turn away. In fact, God will do just about anything to stay in relationship with us, including becoming one of us, living our life, and dying our death on a cross. Hosea's marriage metaphor is offensive, even scandalous, but even more so is the divine love that will not let us go. 
in the midst of all that we face in our lives and our worlds today, this is welcome scandal indeed, something that can carry us through the times of turmoil and uncertainty when we are not at all sure of our way. We know that God is still with us. This problematic prophet also challenges us to respond to God's faithfulness with our own. While we may not worship fertility gods, today it is still easy for us to seek security and comfort in things other than our relationship with God and to forget that such things as wealth and power and wisdom and the grapes that we eat and our very lives are all gifts of our gracious God. While it is right to reject the metaphor of a promiscuous woman, the prophet Hosea offers a poignant reminder that God's covenant calls for a response from us. Though God is always, always present to us, it is up to us to accept the love that is offered so freely and to let it work in and through us, to let it shape us and change us and make us into the people that God wants us to be, that God calls us to be, that we were born to be. Ours is a God who longs, longs with God's, all of God's heart to be in relationship with us and who waits with open hands and heart to receive us. May we trust in that grace and come to know the scandal of divine love in our own lives, and in the life of the church. Amen and amen.